0: Tana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to
1: Reaper Tales.
0: And today I'm gonna tell Sam about the mysterious death of Debbie Wolf. But before we get started, Sam, what are we drinking? Today we are drinking from our
1: local breweries. Um we didn't go too complicated. Uh, I believe. I don't know the case, but from what I understand in respect of the case today.
0: Yeah. So uh, to give a little bit of details on that, I didn't want to uh, do a specific pairing for this case, mostly out of respect. And secondly, everything that I came up with just kind of sounded morbid, not Macabre. like the podcast. Macabre. yeah. And I didn't want to do that, so um, we're drinking our local favorites. For me, I am drinking uh, the Sugar Creek Blood Orange beer. It is Sugar Creek's my favorite beer that's local. It used to be a different brewery. Then I found this brewery next door. It was smaller. Their beer was very tasty. (laughs) And I've really enjoyed drinking them for the past few years. Sam, what are you drinking? mine is going
1: to be from trim tab which is our local brewery it's the one that we actually got started going to montana and i did about five years ago um maybe six
0: um (laughs) and
1: they have grown leaps and bounds um i don't go there often but we took a treat and went there and they have a new one that's called sabro singularity Um, it's quite tasty. It's very similar to another one that I'd had before.
0: All right. So cheers. Cheers. So before I get started, I did title this the mysterious death of Debbie Wolf, but I do want to preface it by saying that a lot of people that have done research on this case and her family have, or do believe that it's not just simply a death. It is a murder. But I'm going to continue to call it a mysterious death. Not... Mostly out of not wanting to be sued. (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) That'll do it. So I'll start by giving you um, the resources on where I found everything on this case. There's a lot on it, actually. And in fact, one of the podcasts that you listen to, Sam has covered the case. True crime all the time. I haven't listened to that case. I am taking a note from Morbid Podcast and not listening to episodes on cases that I'm covering before I cover it because I want to come up with my own opinions beforehand. And then I'll listen to it afterwards and I might have different opinions. You never know. So my resources are unsolved.com. They have an article on the case. Unsolved Mysteries, which... It's one of the earlier episodes (laughs) and I grew up with Unsolved Mysteries. Like I shouldn't have been watching this stuff, but I always enjoyed like the alien encounters, quote unquote. Anyways, episode 78 of Unsolved Mysteries, the Fayetteville Observer, and an article by Dr. Maurice Godwin on drmauricegodwin.com. And to give a little bit of information on dr godwin he is actually was previously a police officer he is now uh investigating several different cases and he is a a speaker on several different podcasts as well he's pretty pretty well involved in the true crime community Uh, and i use a lot of his his information in this episode might be a good resource going forward yeah for sure So, our case starts on Wednesday, December 25th, Christmas Day, 1985. Debbie Wolf completed her shift at the hospital and left work. Presumably, she was headed home. This is what every article says, even in the Unsolved Mysteries episode. It says she presumably had home. Headed home. I don't know where else you're going to go, but it was Christmas Day in 1985, so maybe she had some. By the way, That's like days before I was born. Oh my God, it was. I didn't even think of that.
1: <laughs> a little creepy. It's a little, bit, yeah, it's a little
0: big. Yeah. it's Well, <laughs> it's about to get a lot creepier. <laughs> no. Knowing what you're remembering what your birthday is. Oh, okay. all right. Okay. Well, moving well, on. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jenny Edwards, which is Debbie's mother. Uh, they have different last names because jenny her mother remarried to john edwards jenny edwards said the next morning debbie should have been at work she had to be at work at 8 debbie did not go to work debbie did not answer her telephone it wasn't like debbie at all she never missed work she would call in even if she was going to be a few minutes late so super reliable not one to to ditch work
1: see this is important
0: we always need to be reliable So that way people
1: notice. When you're not there. Like right away.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But keep that in mind. Okay. For the future. Worried about Debbie not being at work and not answering her telephone, Debbie's mother and stepfather, John, and a family friend, Kevin Gordon, went to her home, a secluded cabin four miles outside of Fayetteville. This is where things kind of get a little bit weird. I found contradicting statements on if her stepfather was there or not. I don't know that that really makes a difference. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But in Dr. Godwin's article, he only mentions Jenny and Kevin. Kevin is the family friend. Okay. But in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, it says her stepfather was also present. And it also has a, a character plan a reenactment as her stepfather. And there, her mother is actually in that episode talking about the case, I find it hard to believe that she would be there and say that her... I I don't know that it matters. Maybe it doesn't. Um, You never know. Some people
1: don't mention it because they don't think it's that big of a deal.
0: Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. We'll see. So, in any case, for sure, Jenny was there and the family friend Kevin Gordon was there. When they arrived at Debbie's home, they were surprised by the state of her home and her pets... Jenny, so I have two different quotes here, too, from Jenny about the same thing. In the quote from TheUnsolved.com, Jenny is quoted as saying, We looked around and we saw beer cans laying in the yard. Her dogs had not been fed. There was a uniform laying on the floor in the kitchen and other, other things thrown on the floor. Like maybe she took them off. But in the episode of The Unsolved Mysteries and the reenactment, Well, actually, in the Untold Mysteries episode, Jenny actually says, and I quote, her mother actually says, we looked around and we saw beer cans laying in the yard and it was definitely a brand of beer that Debbie did not drink. And I know this is like picking and choosing, like, quotes that you want to use. But to me, when I read all the articles that I read and it simply just said there were beer cans laying everywhere, she did not... to, in my head I was like oh she doesn't drink like at all but then when her mom said in that Unsolved Mysteries episode it wasn't a brand that she drank I was like oh she does drink but this is just not her, her the beer that she drinks and but at the same time it could have been she went to the store they didn't have her brand she might have yeah. picked up a different brand I don't know and it was an
1: 85 so it's not like you had a whole lot of choices like you do now
0: right exactly it was just like I know that's a weird thing to pick apart, but at the same time, I was just like, they definitely left out that portion of the quote, or they quoted it differently than what she actually said. And to me, I was like, I feel like a quote is a quote. So, quote it the way it was actually said. So, in the episode uh, of the Unsolved Mysteries case, in the reenactment, it has Jenny pointing So, when they drive up, it has Jenny pointing out the car and saying that seat is pushed way back when referring to the driver's side seat of Debbie's car. I don't know if the reenactment took liberties on this part, but they might have, who knows the actual quote in the episode for, um, what Jenny says about her car is basically saying, uh, her car was not parked where it normally was. So Jenny said in the episode, we drove up, there were beer cans everywhere that did not, it was not a brand of beer that you know, Debbie drank her car was not parked in the place it normally was. And her animals had not been fed and her animals were like dogs. So she had a few dogs that were out running free, which was normal. She let her dogs roam free, but they just had not been fed. Which Which, I mean, that's a lot of
1: weird pieces to a whole weird situation.
0: Yeah. It's about to get weirder. Are you ready? I don't think I have a choice. Let's go. So her mother and uh, Kevin, and maybe her stepfather, we're still unsure <laughs> on this point, <laughs> went inside to inside the cabin to investigate in there. And inside, they noticed some odd things. A quote from her mother in that uh, Unsolved Mysteries episode stated that there were small things that were out of place. That Debbie would not have put where they were placed. There was a uniform laying on the floor in the kitchen. Things thrown on the floor in the kitchen. Like maybe she took them off. So she had like a nurse's uniform. Must have just. Saying maybe she just took it off in the kitchen.
1: I mean I don't know about everybody else. But when I. Get home from work. Granted the first thing that I do. Change. Obviously. I don't do it in the kitchen. No. I don't think I've ever done it in the kitchen. I've not been that anxious to get my clothes changed as I'm walking because I have to walk through the kitchen to my house and I haven't done that. So I don't know that that in and of itself is weird, but maybe she did it that way. I don't know.
0: Maybe. Kitchen seems
1: like a weird place. Typically, we change our clothes where we could change and get into another set of clothing. But that's just me.
0: Or you do it like me, you go and grab the clothes and you change next to the laundry hamper, so you can just toss those <laughs> clothes in <into> the laundry <laughs> <amber>. <laughs> That's an
1: interesting version of laziness. <laughs> or efficiency, depending on how
0: you look at it. I like to see it as efficiency. I'm a very <laughs> organized, unorganized person, and I am messy. Sam knows this about me. I'm very clean and messy at the same time. But I have never taken my clothes off in the kitchen and just left them there not once don't think i ever would they don't belong in there no they found that uh and then kevin gordon the family friend found debbie's purse shoved far back under her bed in her bedroom not in its usual place i don't carry a purse so i can't really say a lot on this uh sam no, can i you mean tell me about your purse
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you have regular places i mean i do i have i've always done that Um, like my purse I carry every day. I come home if I need to take anything out of it, I do. And then I put it on the door handle in my bedroom. Same one, every time, same spot. Um, my bag for my computer from work. When I come home from work, take my computer up, out, plug it up. Bag goes under my desk every single time. If I had it in different places, it would be noticeable.
0: But then again,
1: I don't like having things where they don't always go because
0: it makes it easier to find them.
1: And it also makes sure they're not in the way. To me,
0: it sounded like Debbie was a lot like you. in the fact that she had like a place for everything and everything was like in its place.
1: I mean, for them to even say like, this isn't where it would normally be. And they've done it several times. It sounds like it.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, again, I'm a bit chaotic. But when I come home, I and that's what made me think of this, is the computer bag. When I come home from work, my computer bag comes in here and it I put it in this chair that I'm sitting in mm-hmm. until I'm ready to work again. And then I take the computer out, I stick it on the dock, and then I hang my computer bag up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just habits. I mean, you develop these habits. Well, most people develop these habits of... It's not even necessarily efficiency. It's just this is what I do every day because I do it every day. Exactly. Especially when it's something you, you would do every day, like putting your purse in a specific place.
0: Yeah. And why would it be under the bed? That's what I yeah, don't have to say.
1: When you said that, I'm like, okay, clothes in the kitchen, purse under the bed. Odd combination. I don't know of anybody that would do that. I mean, if, if she was in a hurry, let's say, cause she was ready to get her clothes off, whatever she wanted to go change gets her clothes off in the kitchen. Don't you think she would have tossed her purse on the counter or something? I mean, why would she hold on to it and go to the bedroom to put the person there and then go to the kitchen and change or vice versa? It just doesn't make sense.
0: Well, and not just like put your purse in your bedroom, but like kick it under your bed far enough back that somebody has to like dig under there to find it. Yeah. The whole thing's just weird. It doesn't make much sense. That's so odd. Another weird thing that uh, Jenny found while searching inside of Debbie's home was a voicemail on her answering machine. I'm going to let you listen to this voicemail. So we're going to pause. Okay. So in the message, the man on the answering machine mentions that Debbie had missed several days of work and that he was just calling to check on her and see how she was doing. He was worried and concerned. So Sam, you just listen to it. Thoughts?
1: Do we know who the man is at all? I mean, I would think think it's somebody who works with her since he mentioned that she missed days of work. We don't know who the man
0: is. Police do.
1: Okay. So that's number one. Number two, he asked her to call him at the ward, it sounded like. Which is where she worked. Um, Or at home. And he provided the number at the ward, which is interesting. So she's supposed to know his number at home, but he she wouldn't know the number at the work.
0: I actually didn't catch that. That's a good catch.
1: That's weird. And that then is weird. The ending. It was almost like somebody picked up the phone because I've listened to voice recorders like uh, voicemails on the old systems, but I've never had one. I've never heard one, and, and I've not. I don't know that I've ever heard one from the eight from 85, but it's almost like there's a clatter. Like she was listening to it and dropped the phone or something or somebody did because there's a beep, 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 which means he hung up the phone, the person leaving the message. But then there's a bunch of clatter at the end. And maybe that has nothing to do with it, but it just sounded weird. It was almost like somebody dropped a phone or something and they were that's listening an, to it.
0: That's an interesting input to it it might just be like because you know back then they had like the actual tape mm-hmm. inside of it it might be something about the tape but it might also be somebody picking up the phone we don't know but it's interesting you pointing out the fact that he gave the number to the ward but not the number to his home so it's like an assumption that she knew who he was and, like, but he introduced
1: himself memory. like that's the weird thing he's like hey this is so and so You miss days at work. Something about, I don't want you to miss any more. Call me at the ward. Gives the number. Or at home. Which is weird. So you introduced yourself, but then you expect her to just call you at home. So that's kind of confusing when I listen to it.
0: Yeah, and it didn't sound like they cut his, his like, home number. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe they did. I didn't think about that. But it didn't sound like it. It didn't sound like there
1: was a gap or anything like that.
0: No, it didn't. Dang. (laughs) should have had you (laughs) researching this with me the whole time that's our take on the voice message i don't know if i can get the actual clip of the recorded voice call um on the show i will try and we'll go from there oh from the unsolved mysteries so that wasn't from unsolved mysteries that was from um dr godwin's page right you said the clip from the show Oh, there is a clip from the show. But Jenny's actually talking over the clip from the show, so I can't hear it as well on the show. When I came across his page and I saw it, I listened to it, and I was like, oh, this is good. I wonder if I can get this. So, Okay. no, We'll see. So they heard that voice um, recording. Seemed a bit weird. Debbie's mom uh, actually is quoted saying, what concerned me about his message was that he said that she had missed a lot of days of work and she hadn't. In fact, she had only missed a few hours at work at that time that he put the message on the answering machine. So super reliable. She would call in if she was going to be a few minutes late and let them know. Uh, So it was, it was obviously strange. Yeah. I thought that too.
1: When he said that, I thought I was hearing it wrong. I listened to it twice because I thought I missed something.
0: Yeah, no. Several days of work? No. But
1: then I uh, then they're saying she's reliable and would call even if she was going to be late. And he's acting yeah. like he's quote unquote concerned. hmm Because she's been gone for several days? Well, I mean. And they noticed she was missing. The, what, the next day?
0: Yeah. So. I mean, that's how reliable she is. Obviously. Very sketchy.
1: Providing alibi-ish. Mm-hmm.
0: Done with the inside of the cabin, uh, Jenny and Kevin decided to search for Debbie outside of it. Debbie's home was within 50 feet of a pond. It wasn't like a huge pond, but it was still a pond nonetheless. They didn't find Debbie and Jenny decided to call the Cumberland County Sheriff's Department. On the Unsolved Mysteries episode, it states that Jenny was informed that police would only become involved after Debbie had been missing for 72 hours. Isn't there a
1: rule about the first however many hours being kind of pivotal to finding somebody?
0: 48? Yes. There's a whole show based on it. On December 31st, five days after Debbie had last been seen, the sheriff's office decided to do a full-scale search. Captain Jack Watts of the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office was the responding officer. Watts was under the assumption that Jenny and Kevin had already searched the pond. So no official request was made that day for divers. This was the quote. So this is where things get a little bit sketchy for me because this is what is written, ridding, written in the, unsolved.com article of this and then on the unsolved mysteries episode of this jenny's mom actually states that she asked officers if they were going to put a boat in the water and search it and they told her they didn't know and it was getting late well first of all
1: let me get this straight you're searching an area but you know if the family searched it we don't have to do it I'm sorry, aren't you trained for this? Wouldn't you do it anyway? And now, well, it's getting late, so it's a little inconvenient. So I we'll do it later. Literally,
0: I literally my notes have let's talk about how stupid this is. I mean, okay.
1: You're you're obviously very concerned about this missing person.
0: It becomes a it becomes apparent that they are, they're super concerned. <clears throat> Well, she's an adult and she can go missing if she wants to. So here's a quote from Captain Jack Watts. Uh, It was quoted in all the articles that I read. This is the exact quote. It is also what he said in that Unsolved Mysteries episode. So this is an exact quote of what he said. I think it was mentioned that they had already looked in the pond. There was no use for us to look in that pond. So I don't think we did a dive of that pond or a complete search of the pond on that day. No, we did not. Okay.
1: So, but they're asking about bringing out a boat, number one, and divers, number two. So this pond is not that small. How are they supposed to search the whole pond in a sufficient manner that the police wouldn't need to do it?
0: So to give a little bit of an excuse for that, Jenny actually did say in that Unsolved Mysteries episode that um, she, when she said boat, she then referred to like a paddle boat. So it's obviously not that big, but at the same time, it's still
1: pretty big. I mean, even a paddle boat.
0: And it's late December in North Carolina. It's cold. Do you expect a family to be able to drag a pond on their own? And that be sufficient for a missing person's case? Like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm not going to say anything. We'll, we'll, we'll,
1: We'll keep listening.
0: The police did bring bloodhounds, but the bloodhounds didn't find anything. So they did one thing. Jenny, Debbie's mother, was not satisfied with the search the police had conducted and asked them if she could... So this is another thing. Jenny asked police if she can conduct... Her own search of the pond. If she was able to hire her own divers to search the pond. And the police agreed.
1: Yeah, they're they're real concerned.
0: So that's what she fucking did.
1: I mean, this is your job. This is literally your job. You already waited 72 hours or whatever. They waited five days. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, like... You've had sufficient time to wait and not do anything. Now's the time for you to actually start putting some effort in.
0: Well, they didn't.
1: So. Maybe it was too cold and they didn't want to be cold.
0: Police don't actually search those things themselves. (laughs) They hire contractors to do it. They were concerned concerned about the contractors. They didn't want the
1: contractors to be cold. My (laughs)
0: asshole. On New Year's Day, 1986, Kevin Gordon, so the family friend, and another friend, Gordon Childress, returned to the pond to search for Debbie. Both men were familiar with rescue work. Childress looked for any evidence, and soon after the dives, soon after the dive started, Childress found two two sets of foot impressions pressed into the thick mud along what appeared and along with what appeared to be drag marks approximately two minutes after they began the dive gordon childress discovered a body in the water two minutes it took him two minutes and in the unsolved mysteries episode it's it's a reenactment so i don't know how accurate this is but it also has childress on the episode talking about this and um it shows the reenactment character of Childress popping his head up and goes, I believe I found a body. And he goes, I'm going to go back down and check. So I feel like he found a body, probably went back down to double check. So let's just keep that in mind. Okay. As we go forward, Debbie's body was found about 30 feet from the bank in five and a half feet of water.
1: And she was how tall?
0: Uh, I don't know how tall she was. But she was, we'll, we'll get into it. Childress later recalled, the body was inside what looked like a burn barrel. That's a rusty 55-gallon oil-type drum with holes in it. This is from his quote from the Unsolved Mysteries episode in 1990. So, I don't know. My dad always had a burn barrel in our backyard. The big 55-gallon mm-hmm. oil drums for, like, cardboard. Yeah, we used to have one, too. Those are pretty distinct. Um, So, yeah. The police were called to the scene and the body was identified as Debbie Wolf. So this is where I'm going to lean heavily on Dr. Godwin's article that he wrote on his website, mostly because he has more information than most other articles. And because I wasn't able to get the uh, case report and autopsy report before we did this recording, I did apply for it, but we haven't heard back from it. The autopsy on Miss Wolf was performed by Dr. William Oliver on January 2nd, 1986. Dr. Oliver worked for the North Carolina Medical Examiner's Office. Interestingly, the manner of death was reported as undetermined. The medical examiner could not determine if the drowning was an accident or a homicide. Often... In suspicious deaths, investigators look to other factors to help them conclude if a death was an accident or a murder. Okay, I'm
1: going to stop you right there. How do you accidentally put yourself into a drum, roll yourself in the said drum, into the pond,
0: and I'm what, so glad that? you asked that. We'll get this to this. This has happened in the past? People have accidentally done this? We'll get to it very soon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but I'm me. so glad you asked.
1: <laughs> I try to not get in 55 gallon drums around bodies of water, but that's just me.
0: I. Yes. I've been looking for a 55 gallon oil drum for a while. Can't seem to find one at a reasonable price, so I can burn my own cardboard, but whatever. Well, it was 85. It was probably a little easier. Probably. Clues found both in the cabin outside and on Debbie's body should have suggested to investigators that they were dealing with a murder. Also, uh, the coroner found no drugs or alcohol in Debbie's system.
1: But there were beer cans everywhere. Bingo. I mean, even if it was Bud Light, which is the equivalent of water, even if they would still have some kind (laughs) of, it would have tested positive in some kind of way. You're not wrong.
0: <laughs> Findings from the autopsy should have also raised red flags about Debbie's death. First, she had multiple abrasions on several of her fingers. These could have been from defensive wounds. It is reasonably to conclude that in typical drowning situations, the deceased's eyes and mouth would be opened along with their hands and arms in a clawed position. <laughs> as though they were fighting for their life. However, Debbie's eyes and mouth were closed and her body appeared as though she was in a relaxed state. And there were no markings on the drum?
1: On the inside of the drum? Like where she would have been trying to claw or try to get out?
0: We'll get to the drum.
1: Okay.
0: I'm going over the... Stop stop pausing and making me wait. I'm asking (laughs) sufficient questions. Also, in a typical drowning case, the deceased would have a white froth or foam-like substance in their airway and or exuding from their mouth or nostrils. Davis, 1986 quote. J.H. Davis wrote, Bodies found in water, drowning, near drowning, and immersion syndrome. So this is actually a good person to quote in this episode because of what... We're about to get to no froth or foam substance was found on or in Miss Wolf's mouth or airway. The presence of either froth or foam is a vital phenomenon and often indicates that the victim was alive at the time of submersion. Davis 1986 was Debbie unconscious prior to entering the pond. The autopsy found only a half teaspoon of water in Wolf's upper bronchial area. So okay, half a teaspoon. This is why I requested the uh, coroner's report. I wanted to see if she had um, a sufficient amount of... I mean, I guess it doesn't take a lot of water in your lungs to drown, but I just wanted to see like how much water she had in her lungs because in none of these articles it states if she did or she didn't have water in her actual lungs
1: i'm gonna ask the question you're probably gonna tell me we're gonna get to it but was her official cause of death indicated drowning or it just never was indicated because they called it a mystery
0: uh i believe her official so her i'm about to get to it actually so Investigators for the Cumberland County Sheriff's Office do- disagreed with the murder theory. Detectives proposed their own theory on, on the Unsolved Mysteries 1990 case or episode. Possibly Miss Wolf was playing with her two dogs and she fell in the pond or maybe she was trying to save one of her dogs that walked in the pond and became frightened and disoriented in the water. So she swam into a drum? We'll get to the drum. (laughs) Okay. County detectives propose that Debbie may have succumbed to immersion immersion syndrome. And this is where uh, Davis's other book comes into play. Immersion syndrome also refers to, is also referred to as immersion foot or trench foot. It is a non-freezing peripheral cold injury caused by prolonged or repetitive exposure to damp. Cold temperatures, cool or cold water, or mud. The extremity first becomes cold, numb, pale. I don't know how to say this word. Edematous? Edematous? I don't know. And clammy. This is followed by blistering. They had a big problem with that in the World
1: Wars, right? Because they were in the trenches all the time.
0: They did. They had a huge problem with it. But it's a story for a different time. However, autopsy findings did not find any symptoms related to Immersion Syndrome, plus Debbie's feet and legs were covered. So she had, like, pants and shoes on. Sheriff's detectives also denied that Debbie's body had been found in a barrel.
1: Oh, so it just didn't exist. Okay.
0: Rather, they propose a theory about the barrel. What appeared to be a barrel... To some of the divers could have been Debbie's jacket, which may have ballooned out as she was lying at the angle at the bottom of the pond. I'm
1: sorry. Was there or was there not a drum? Because those are made out of metal. Even if it was made out of wood, you would still have evidence of said drum or barrel. If you don't, sure, it could have been the jacket. That just didn't exist. Optical illusion. That's all it was.
0: So Kevin Gordon and uh, Gordon Childress uh, refuted what the police said. They were like, there was a barrel there, you know, metal, 55 gallons. It was there. So Jenny, upon uh, this, remembered that there was indeed a barrel sitting outside of Debbie's cabin where she kept firewood. Jenny walked over to the spot where the barrel would normally be, but it was gone. She could see the indention in the ground where the barrel's weight had made an impression, and the Mm -hmm. barrel was gone. Police failed to collect the barrel the day they responded to the scene. When Debbie's family returned to the cabin the next day, the barrel was gone. Police denied the barrel was ever there.
1: I mean, is there no chain of custody about anything? There's no photographs nobody's recording anything nothing
0: nope it was getting late oh, yeah, they, they so on the unsolved mysteries episode it actually says that our uh jenny actually says when she asked about the barrel they told her it was getting late and they would come back and get it tomorrow the the fuck <laughs> do these are these people like on a nine to five what the fuck is happening
1: uh, it screams cover-up or just psh,
0: incompetence. Or both. Or both, yeah. It's, that's always a possibility. So, yeah. Uh, however, in uh, D- Dr. Godwin's article, it says, However, Cumberland County Sheriff's Deputy Don, Don Smith admitted that he saw a barrel. Well, that's one thing, I guess. It's one thing. It's one person outside of the family, which... Oh my god. Jenny's suspicions about her daughter's death were even more confirmed when two months later she received from the medical examiner's office the clothing that Debbie was wearing. She examined the clothing that her daughter had on when her body was pulled from the pond, and none of it was her clothing. So, to get a little bit more specific about that, there were uh, brown corduroy pants that were too big and too long and unzipped that Debbie was wearing. There was a bra on her that was three sizes too large in the cup. And around the middle, it was too it was two sizes too large. So no woman would put that on. Right. Yeah. So it looks like from these measurements, it looks like Debbie's close to my size she wore a sorry. That's getting too detailed. She wore a thirty four B. Hi, welcome to the small titty committee. Um, and she was found wearing a size thirty eight C, which is Whoa. very large for. Well, it's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Um, the Nike shoes that she had on were men's sizes, uh, and they were three sizes too large for her. So, Debbie wore a lady size seven and the men's were a size six. So, it's like almost like somebody put those size sixes on, thinking, oh, men's shoes are slightly bigger than women's, a size six. So, a size down is going to be bigger. Mm-hmm. That was my thought on it. But in reality, that size is actually several sizes too big for us. Yeah.
1: The measurement's completely different.
0: Yeah. When Debbie was found, she had on a new regulation Army field jacket that did not belong to Debbie or anyone associated with her. The jacket had no name tag and no way to trace its original owner. So let's talk about that for a minute. Fayetteville is actually a pretty big, like, um, I think it's a Marine base. I know that it's some type of military base. So there's a lot of military personnel around there.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because my nephew, that was one of the places that he might have been sent to. Right. So it would be marine.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, marine. I thought it was marine because of, and I'll bleep her name out. Oh. Uh, her husband, I believe, was stationed there. Oh, okay. Um, maybe that's why I said marine. Who knows? So that's just a little bit, you know, a little tidbit about that. Uh, When found, she was wearing a black t-shirt with Pittsburgh Steelers on the front. Debbie's family and her boyfriend, didn't know she had a boyfriend until this part, by the way, could not identify the shirt, claiming they had no idea where it came from. So we're going to talk about uh, the few days after her body was discovered. Or not, actually, no, we're going to talk about a few days after Debbie went missing quote-unquote Franz schaff who is a family friend went to debbie's cabin to feed or feed her dogs and she found debbie's wool stocking cap in the mud opposite at the opposite end of the pond from where debbie was thought to have entered the pond the family thought this was odd because there was a thin layer of ice on the pond and it was unlikely that the cap would have floated from one side of the pond to the other. So just science. Okay. Jenny also found it odd uh, that when the NC State Bureau of Investigation returned the Nikes, so the shoes, there was no mud on them, and the SBI denied having cleaned the shoes, that they returned them in the state that they had received them. So if we're talking about somebody who walked into a pond they would have had mud on their shoes, even if they had been submerged. Also, a pond is a pretty stagnant place of water. There's not a super ton of movement in it. So it's not going to wash that mud off. No, and I mean,
1: even if you did a rock base at some point, that's a pretty big pond. I mean, it's going to have sediment regardless.
0: Exactly. Debbie's stepfather, John, went to the cabin on December 27th And in so this is actually quoted, a lot of this last portion, like I said, is quoted from a Dr. Goodwin's, or Godwin's, um, article, and I just need to preface this by saying I am exactly quoting what Dr. Godwin put on his article, but I also want to make it known that I think this is a typo. (laughs) Okay. And I think we can all deduce it as a typo. Debbie's stepfather went to the cabin on December 27th, 2005. So when I read that, I was like, he went to the cabin almost 20 20 years years later. I don't understand. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is a typo. So my assumption is that he went to the cabin on December 27th, 1985, and he found a white short-sleeved nurse's uniform lying on the kitchen floor, according to... So this is where I think maybe they left out that John was there because they put it in this article later, but in the Unsolved episode, they were like, oh, he was just there all the time. Okay. So he's the one who found the uniform. Um, So in Dr. Godwin's article, it says that Debbie's stepfather went over to the cabin shortly after she went missing. He found a short sleeve uniform lying on the kitchen floor, and according to a co-worker of Debbie's, that was not the uniform that Debbie had worn the day earlier. The co-worker stated that the two were having coffee, and he accidentally spilled coffee on the sleeve of her uniform. He later said that he was positive she was wearing a uniform with long sleeves. Big difference. Yeah. So kind of my thought, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't see why the uniform would have been in the kitchen if that was the case, unless maybe because he spilled coffee on the uniform, she changed into a different one.
0: But she, if we're, if we're talking about like, so if we're talking about her getting home from work after being at work, why would she change out of that uniform and then change into another one? And I, know I was
1: referring to because he said lunch. So how long? Much longer was she there? So maybe she had a spare uniform
0: and changed into it.
1: Maybe. But I mean, a coffee stain on the sleeve is not that big of a deal. So no, it's
0: not. I mean, I'm
1: sure they. I get wouldn't worse. think so, but. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. I was thinking it, but I wasn't gonna say it. I'm
0: sure they get worse on their uniforms.
1: <laughs> um, but I'm sure she had a lot of uniforms too. So. You know, unless it was somebody sure. that came in there, there was an altercation, and they did that as a as a way of uh, making it seem like she's not really missing. There's not really, an, there wasn't really a, a fight or anything, and they just kind of threw it on the floor, like, to make it look like what people assumed. Yeah. She just got changed
0: right when she came home. So let's chat about the voicemail. Oh, we're going back to that? Okay. We're going to go back to the voicemail for a minute. So detectives would later claim they investigated several uh, patients with mental problems from the Veterans Hospital, including the man who left the voice message. Soon after being interviewed by sheriff's detectives, the man who left the voicemail left the state of North Carolina.
1: Seems like an overreaction.
0: His name has also never been released. But I mean... I don't, I don't know how that would be handled uh, because detectives have, or uh, police have always said that her death was an accidental death. Yeah. It just, it seems odd to me that somebody who left a voice message that said she had missed several days of work. Which Which she hadn't.
1: I mean, she even had a friend that saw her in her uniform
0: that day. Exactly. And it's not like you're gonna miss Christmas day, seeing somebody at work, like,
1: no, you're both gonna sit there and complain about how you have to be there on a freaking holiday.
0: Yeah, exactly. I had to work Christmas day, um, about 10 years ago at Walgreens. And I remember every motherfucker I worked with that day. So yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. It just, it seems very weird to me. I mean, you think you'd look into that a
1: little bit more.
0: You would think. But then again, you know,
1: it's possible that it could have been a wrong number. But then again, why did he leave the entire state after being interviewed? Maybe he it, had it planned, but still, it's a weird coincidence.
0: It could have been a wrong number. He left the ward number from where she worked. Not
1: true. Well, but I meant like a different employee. Maybe. But then you still have the weird thing about, or call me at home. Which, by the way, who does that? I'm calling because I'm worried about you, but you can call me at work or at home.
0: It's 1985, though.
1: Yeah, but what? still, would they have called at home or left a message for them to get when they came back on shift? Or True. for the next manager? Like, I, I've never, I've not even worked at a hospital, but I feel like it would be even more so. Um, I've never worked in a place where my manager was like, hey, I you know just checking in on you call me at work at my work number which is typically what they would do they wouldn't give me the number
0: or you know just
1: call me at home that's fine
0: i don't think that this, this was like a, a a manager i think that this might have been like a volunteer because it did it in the episode of uh unsolved mysteries there were people who there were two men that Debbie worked with or helps on the volunteer crew who um, according to her mother uh, tried to pick her up at some point or another. And one of them, both of them made her very uncomfortable. The first one had like mental issues. And the second one, she basically told, Hey, like I have a boyfriend. I, you know, and that person would contact her at home.
1: They must have been a lot more free with their home numbers.
0: I guess. I'm assuming it's the second one. But I, you know, again, they didn't give out names. That was just, and I'm assuming they didn't give out names for a reason to protect those people. But, you know, that's, that That was, that was it <laughs> on the whole telephone thing. It was just, that that was really weird to me on top you don't even
1: have to give the name you don't have to give the location but you can at least talk about okay well we talked to him this was the reason why da 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 like this is what the interview consisted of but we're not going to tell you the name of anybody they can even omit certain identifying factors of the interview but at least be like we did talk to him we checked this out but it panned out
0: we're also talking about a police department that swears up and down there wasn't her body wasn't found in a burn barrel. Yeah. True. And the burn barrel disappeared overnight.
1: Well, I mean, I was thinking about that when you said it, I was like, I can just see it. Let's, let's say they're on the up and up. They're just lazy. And they're like, "Well, we'll pick it up tomorrow. So they show up to pick it up. Like they said they would, and it's gone. And they're like, well, shit. I vote. It didn't exist. Everybody in, a, everybody in favor? All right, good. We're just going to pretend this didn't
0: happen. I just don't understand what... If we're to believe, and I am, to believe Jenny, Debbie's mother, that Debbie had a burn barrel on her property and it went missing, Debbie's body was found in a burn barrel in the pond, and the burn barrel disappeared the next day before police could retrieve it. What's the significant what What tie would that burn barrel have, unless it just proves that her 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 death wasn't accidental? Maybe that's what it is. Well, let's let's play devil's
1: advocate and say it was a cover up. That would be a perfect way of debunking the accidental death. If they can act like everybody who the few people who did see it were crazy and they were just seeing things,
0: they don't have to change that. One person maybe two people were getting sketchy three people one being a police officer we got a conspiracy yeah there's (laughs) there's (laughs) yeah,
1: there's definitely something going on that's not on the up and up one way or another
0: yeah so as of today debbie's case is still ruled as an accidental death from from dr uh godwin's Um, article he says debbie's mother the late mrs jenny edwards so she did pass worked tirelessly for over 20 years trying to solve her daughter's murder newly discovered information by dr godwin from the case files suggests that semen was present in the victim was she raped DNA profiling was not available in 1985. A new private investigation is ongoing by Dr. Maurice Godwin. So when I saw this, I actually ended up sending an email to Dr. Godwin myself to say, Hey, cause I believe this article was written by him in either 2016, 2017. So I sent him an email and said, Hey, I saw that you published this several years ago. Uh, you stated at the end of it that you are currently doing a new investigation into it. Can you give me any information on where your investigation has led? Do you have any new information? Because I haven't seen any updates or anything like that, but I haven't heard back from you. So
1: okay,
0: that's basically where we're at on this case. As of right now, it's simply just a mysterious death. But if you were to ask me, it seems super sus. (laughs) To say the least. Yeah. I mean,
1: just with that information. I mean, here's the problem that I have with a lot of these cases that were a while back. It seems like a lot of it is suspicious at best. But it's riddled with incompetencies, which to some extent we've obviously grown we've learned the police even have developed new ways of training people a lot of things like when it's smaller towns they just didn't have the training they needed and they were too proud to involve a bigger a bigger police force or you know involve the this county or the state to get them involved and they actually knew what they were doing so there's this pride there's incompetence but then there's a shit ton of cover-ups I mean there's even proof of cover-ups so then that makes you suspicious that some of some of the other ones are cover-ups and again there's that pride aspect they're never going to admit to that they have to get busted that's the only way that that ends up coming to light so it's very frustrating to have cases like this because you don't really know there's no way of knowing and it's now been so long it it's going to be extremely difficult to prove One way or another.
0: Well, here's the thing. Um, At the end of that article. So I didn't see anywhere else where they had found semen on the body, inside the body, wherever you want to, wherever it was found. I didn't see any of that. I only found this in um, Dr. Godwin's article. They lost the vaginal swabs, according to him.
1: I was about to ask
0: did it did it go down in
1: a fire like a certain other famous case
0: I swear to god I don't know <laughs> I don't know again uh, I've requested the case file I want to see it at some point if I get access to it if I have any more information on on the case I'll give an update cuz this pisses me off yeah this is blatant blatant enough for unsolved mysteries what's his name No idea. Blatant enough for Unsolved Mysteries, Robert Stacks, to point it out. (laughs) Bro didn't hold back, but I'm just saying, original (laughs) Unsolved Mysteries, Robert Stacks, that voice, Mm -hmm. that charisma, let's get it.
1: Yeah, I started pulling some of those up. Do you know it started to show up on uh, one of the streaming channels? so. I may start listening to some of those.
0: I fucking love him. I, he was, like I said, I would come home from school. I would make my, and don't cringe at this, mayonnaise and banana sandwich. And I'd sit down and I'd watch Unsolved Mysteries. It was beautiful. The whole saying, thing was I'm beautiful. i not saying
1: anything about the sandwich.
0: <laughs> I still eat them. I love them. I think they're great. <laughs>
1: No matter how many times you eat them, mayonnaise is not going to turn into frosting.
0: (laughs) I think they're great. And you can kiss my butt. (laughs) So, yes, that's where we're at. If I get any kind of leeway on the case files or anything like that, if I have to continue to submit new ones because they don't give the correct date death, and you have to have the date of death when you submit a request for a coroner's report makes sense and they don't have an exact date death listed anywhere so i might have submitted it a couple of times i will give an update anyway until then this has been a great episode
1: it really has good job it was very interesting and hopefully you'll have an update and we can do a mini-sode or something like a, a little update episode maybe more than one since some of these are unsolved so maybe we can put some of them together and just kind of do some updates on any of the mysterious ones
0: oh for sure we do we will have a mini episode in the near future with a guest that i have not told you about so i hope you're you're ready anyway samantha where can our two fans find us on instagram
1: at Reaper Tales Podcast.
0: They can find us at Reaper Tales Podcast on Facebook, and they can email us at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. If you have any case suggestions or, you know, a weird story that we might find creepy and interesting, we would love to share it with everybody. So write into us. Remember to follow us on spotify and on apple podcast someday in the future very soon maybe somewhere else to be determined to be determined if um, there's a if
1: there is one that you would rather know like one that you use that you would rather use let us know
0: yeah iheart something like that let us know and we'll try to post on there as well anyway until next time the reaper will come for us all